Coming up on Stu Does America, Elise Stefanik has been elected as conference chair of the Republican Party. But was she the best choice for conservatives? I'll speak with Michael Knowles from The Daily Wire about that and so much more. And the Supreme Court is geared to take up a major abortion case that could have big effects on the future. We'll tell you about that. Plus, everyone with a blue check mark seems to want to weigh in on the violence between Israel and Hamas, but they just can't seem to be troubled to learn anything about it first. I'm looking at you, Kyrie Irving, as we do the war on Israel. Stu does America. You know, I've been noticing there's a bit, it's a bit of a hubbub in the Middle East. Have you noticed this? Seems like Israel and Hamas don't like each other all that much for whatever reason. Who knows? I would say both sides are making equal trouble there, wouldn't you? The, you know, international terrorist group and Israel. Um, that's kind of the way we're supposed to read this, I guess. We're supposed to just see this as two different sides and it's 50-50. You know what? Maybe the Palestinians are the ones being wronged here. That seems to be what the media wants us to believe. There's a long history here, obviously. I'm not going to go through all of the thousands of years of it. But what I will say is we were existing in a state in which neither side was firing missiles at the other side. And then one side started firing missiles at the other side. That should tell you about something about where we are in this particular battle. Uh, we're going to get into that in a little bit, but I want to focus uh, on the reaction first here. Now, there's a lot of dumb people out there in the media, celebrities on the left. A lot of them are really dumb, and they say a lot of dumb things. For us to just fill a show with you know, the left saying dumb things, I mean, that would be easy. It would almost be too easy. Almost too easy. Let's just do it. Let's start with AOC. Uh, she's the one that she usually kicks off all of our really dumb, um, you know, left-wing uh, commentaries. She is in the squad, and the squad has some different, uh, you know, various effects with it. it. Basically, you have the squad that does a couple different things. Number one, they're always socialists. Number two, they're always the victim. Always. That might be their defining characteristic. And number three, they just don't seem to be able to find time to like anything Jews do. It's just a total flip of the coin. You know, or sure, next time the Jews do something, they might just like it. But so far, all the times, they seem to come out on the other side. I don't know what it is. Just dumb luck. Who knows? Maybe the next 50 incidents, uh, Ilan Omar will come out on the side supporting the Jewish state. But you know, so far, no instances of it. Let's see if we can find any. Anyway, let's go with AOC first. She said, apartheid states aren't democracies. It's just so weird. I mean, it really is the end all of the story. It's, it's, it's the way it is every single time. AOC, uh, uh, you have uh, Presley, you have Omar, you have this entire sort of squad element, and it's bigger than just the four of them now. It really has grown to probably 15 or 20 in the Democratic Party that just continually find problems with Israel. Everybody else seems to be fine, but America and Israel, the two places you can always stand up against, that's apparently safe ground for a U.S. congressperson. Mark Ruffalo who is well known for his portrayal of um, uh, hmm? the Hulk, right. Uh, he was great as the Hulk, as uh, we all remember him in that uh, fine ser series of films. Uh, yeah. 
series of films, right? We all remember that. So Mark Ruffalo, he tweets this, over 30 children killed, mothers dead, hundreds injured. We are on the brink of full-scale war. Sanctions on South Africa helped free its black people. It's time for sanctions on Israel to free Palestinians. Join the call. Gaza under attack. Now, Gaza fired a lot of weapons and a lot of missiles. And I will say they are crappy enough at doing it that maybe they did fire some that blew up on their own land. But that's the only way Gaza was under attack. When you when you get hundreds and thousands of missiles falling on your citizens, when you respond to that, that's not an attack. You are responding to someone trying to kill you. This is not that hard, but of course, the Hulk wasn't smart. Like, a guy wasn't known for his brains. That's not what the movies were about. Paris Hilton uh, has chimed in. She came out and she says, this is so heartbreaking. This needs to stop. Save Palestine. Hashtag Gaza under attack. Hashtag stop the genocide. Again, like, I don't know. Is Paris Hilton smarter than we think she is? Maybe, but that doesn't make her smart. And so she, but she did delete that. And then she, she then posted this, sending love and light around the world, praying for peace to make the world a better place for all. That's much more, uh, you know, greeting cardish. And I think that one's acceptable. Uh, Kyrie Irving. Now, Kyrie Irving is a basketball player, if you don't know. Uh, he, uh, he's the guy, when he was on LeBron James' team, he's the guy they gave the ball to in the closing seconds of close games. Um, that's just, uh, that was his role to take all the important shots from the best player in the world. Um, so Kyrie used to do that. Now he, he went, bounced around, was on Boston for a while, and now he's on the, uh, the Nets. Uh, and the Nets are trying an experiment out this year in which they take all the best players from the league and put them on one team and see what happens. Uh, seems to be working, kind of, though they can't seem to stay on the court for the same, uh, at the same time. Anyway, uh, so he is kind of best known for his off-the-court um, activity for being the flat earth guy. The guy, and he tried to back off later and say, I was just uh, coming up with a thought experiment or whatever, but he just kind of, he thought the earth was flat until like a week ago, okay? That's who this guy is. He uh, had something to say as well about this important uh, situation in the Middle East. For me personally, I'm not really, um, you know, gonna, I'm not going to lie to you guys. Like, a lot of stuff is going on in this world, and uh, basketball is just not the most important thing to me right now. Hmm, There's a lot of stuff going on overseas. All my people are still in bondage all across the world, and there's a lot of dehumanization going on. So, you know, I apologize if I'm not going to be focused on y'all questions. You know, it's just too much <laughs> going on in the world for me to just be talking about basketball. Like, I focus on this shit 24-7 most of the time, but <sighs> mm-hmm. it's just too much going on in this world not to address. You know, it's, it's sad to see this shit going on. Um, and it's not just in Palestine. It's not just in Israel. It's all over the world, man, and I feel it. I'm very compassionate to all races, all cultures. And mm, to see a lot of brave. different people being discriminated from uh, upon. Okay, or against I mean, uh, being my uh, IQ is dropping. Let's turn it off for a second. Uh, he's a little too. He can't quite focus on basketball, guys, because you know, there's too much going on in the world. Because you know he he's the difference. You do know this, right? If Kyrie is dribbling, people die. If Kyrie is focused on humanity, then we have a chance to pull through this thing. You know, hopefully Kyrie can get a couple days off and focus on ending racism. Uh, because I'm sure he's he's just on the verge of it. If they would just one more day of not caring about his $33 million a year job, and he would have racism defeated. He's so close. Just give him a few more days off. Come on, don't ask him to go play those games. 
Uh, I don't know that he's, it's interesting because these guys are always like, oh, we have to care today about George Floyd, 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 George Floyd. We have to care about him. They never are like, you know what? Give us a day off. We're going to give you back the entire day's salary because this is too important. That's never the, that's never what happens. They just keep all the money and don't play the games, which is an interesting thing. I wish I could come up with a deal that would allow me to do that because you know what? I'd find lots of stuff to care about. Okay. I'd never be here. You'd never see my face in front of this stupid camera. I'd be, I'd be running around saying, oh gosh, the, the spotted eel. You know what's happening to the spotted eel in lower Oceania town? Oh, it's just a, it's a genocide of these spotted eels. It's terrible. Just can't come to work today, guys. Sorry about that. Anyway, um, he can't focus on basketball. I, I will say, with the amount of talent on that team and the way they've played so far this year, I don't think he's been focused on basketball at all. He's got a lot of problems he's dealing with. So hopefully that comes around. Um, Adil Raja. Now, this is a guy who works for CNN or did work for CNN. He was a uh, freelancer for CNN. They, when people started bringing up his tweet, they said, uh, we don't know who he is. I've never heard of him before. And then they fired him. Now, it's hard to fire someone who you don't know who they are. But CNN somehow pulled that off, and that's impressive. Uh, he just, he had one minor comment. Is this a problem? I don't know. The world today needs a Hitler. That's all he said. That's all he said behind a blue check mark. The world today needs a Hitler. Now, he didn't say which Hitler. Could have been Scott Hitler, the mechanic from Long Island. We don't know which Hitler he was demanding there, but uh, we had an idea. Maybe the same Hitler, uh, Vina Malik was uh, tweet, uh, quoting. Now, Vina Malik was a uh, Bollywood actress. Um, she put uh, this tweet, and I don't know, you tell me, can you detect a problem in this in any way? I don't know. She says, uh, quote, I would have killed all the Jews of the world, but I kept some to show the world why I killed them. And then, of course, that quote is attributed to Adolf Hitler. Now, I don't know if Adolf Hitler actually said that. Uh, Adolf Hitler is quoted as saying a lot of things, but there's a tone to it that you may have detected. Does not seem to be all that pro-Israel or all that pro-Jewish people. Seems downright negative on the Jews. And people noticed that she did delete uh, that tweet. Uh, but okay, what about Bella Hadid? Now, Bella Hadid is a uh, model. You may uh, recognize her. I, I frankly don't, but uh, the name does sound familiar. She says she uh, has has a minor a minor issue. Uh, let me give you a little a little chant she uh, she was involved in. Check this out. Now, you see, the Palestine will be free, eh, throw the Jews into the sea. Now, do you, it does rhyme. I will give her that. It does rhyme. And there's some credit that is deserved there. Um, but m it's not that much credit. Um, apparently, a little bit of a problem for Israel, who uh, tweeted this in response. When celebrities like Bella Hadid advocate for throwing Jews into the sea... They're advocating for the elimination of the Jewish state. This shouldn't be an Israeli-Palestinian issue. This should be a human issue. Shame on you. Honestly, I think she's advocating for a little more than just eliminating the state. Seems like she, she's not going to be like, ah, you know what, it's okay. Jews can live safely inside a Palestinian state. I don't think that's what she's going for when she's saying throwing them into the sea. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. 
And like, you look at Bella Hadid. Do we have a picture of Bella Hadid again? I mean, not necessarily my type per se, you know? I mean, she's, but I mean, I could see how she's a model. People might find her uh, to be attractive. She's certainly attractive enough to say something like, throw the Jews into the sea. If you're on that side of the argument, you can say stuff and get away with it. It's certain, especially if you're attractive. Everything's easier if you're attractive. Believe me, I know. You know, I have all sorts of benefits for this incredible uh, appearance here. And if you're on podcast, you might think, isn't that guy the fat guy from the Glenn Beck program? No, I look much better on television. Um, but so Bella Hadid has a level of attractiveness that allows her to easily say things like throw the Jews into the sea. And you don't need to be that good looking to be able to get away with saying throw the Jews into the sea. However, you have to be incredibly good looking to say something positive about Jews. That, you have to be incredibly hot. So I ask you the paradox of the day here. Is Gal Gadot hot enough to say this? Because she's very attractive, but I, don't, I think we have to cancel her here. I'm very, I'm, I'm triggered. I don't know if she's allowed to get away with this. Let me give you the quote. You tell me. She says, my heart breaks. My country is at war. I worry for my family and my friends. I worry for my people. This is a vicious cycle that has been going on for far too long. Israel deserves to live in a free and safe nation. Whoa. Our neighbors deserve the same. I pray for the victims and their families. I pray for this unimaginable hostility to end. I pray for our leaders to find the solution so that we could live side by side in peace. I pray for better days. Now, as you can tell, it's incredibly offensive. Okay, that's a, that's a massively offensive comment. I mean, Israel deserves a safe nation? Are you kidding me? I mean, jeez, that's the most anti-Palestinian thing I've ever heard. But Gal Gadot's really hot. So can Gal Gadot get away with this? We will see. She's on the verge right now. She's about as hot as you can be. So if anyone can say something like Israel deserves not to be killed, I guess it's her. But there, you have to be incredibly attractive to get away with that sort of hate speech. You know, this is, this is something that has been going on for a very long time. And it's something that it's hard to imagine. I, I mean, we certainly would not accept someone from, you know, Edmonton lobbing missiles over our border. One missile would be enough, I promise you. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers would be no more after that. It, it would be, uh, we would rain hell down on anyone who attempted it. I, the same thing goes for Mexico or anyone else. You fire missiles in our, into our homeland? What are you talking about? Israel is, ex is expected to just accept this. I mean, look, you have to understand, they, they're not, they don't have missiles that are as good as Israel's missiles. They should just accept it. You know, there's this idea in the, you know, in the Palestinian uh, territory that like, well, you know, Israel doesn't have a right to exist. And you could say, I don't know, you go back in history and find things you don't like that Israel did. And maybe you'd say, OK, well, you know what? Gosh darn it, I don't think they should exist. Maybe you even think that's a valid argument, like the, something coming from Ilan Omar. But what's shocking about the media today is it seems like they expect Israel to agree with it. Like they should, Israel itself should say, you know what? I don't think we should exist. That's the only acceptable opinion from Israel. Everything else seems to be the other way around. I, 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 I can't come to any other conclusion other than the media is rooting for Israel to essentially root for its own destruction. And I got news for you, they're not going to do that. 
You know, there's this weird thing that goes on because Israel has the, the Iron Dome. They have all these defenses. They have an incredibly advanced military. They're beating up on the little kid on the block. You know, yeah, sure, they fired a bunch of missiles, thousands of missiles into your territory, but you should probably not do much about that. You know, like if you go to rob a bank and it doesn't work out, you still go to prison, right? Just because you're bad at robbing banks, does that mean that you don't go to prison? You still do. You still have to deal with the consequences of your actions. Hamas is a terrorist group. They're firing missiles indiscriminately into population centers in Israel, hitting civilians and attacking uh, all sorts, indiscriminately, all over, all over the country. And the only reason that thousands aren't dead is because Israel has def- developed a defense mechanism to stop it. Well, part of that defense is making sure that they can't do it next time. And Israel is completely justified in going in and defending themselves and taking out these weapons and Hamas in general. You know, you go back to 2005, uh, the Palestinians have an opportunity to hold elections and, and, and pick someone to represent who they care about. And they picked Hamas. They picked freaking Hamas. That tells you a lot. It tells you a lot. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to, it's not just Hamas. You know, I mean, you look at the polling of that region and uh, yes, there's been a conflict there for a long time, but they will, they'll tell you all sorts of things you don't want to hear about Jews. They don't want them there. Uh, The population as a whole, the majority of Palestinians are incredibly uh, visceral in their hatred for Israel. You're never going to get to a solution when you have uh, that sort of mindset on either side. But here it's, you know, they elected Hamas. Hamas is... They gain power from the world when they do things like this because the world makes excuses for them. No more excuses. When you have a situation where neither side are firing missiles at each other, you don't start firing missiles and act like you got attacked. It's just just not the way it works. The media is never going to recognize it, but that's not going to change the truth. Israel is completely justified in what they're doing. And the longer the world sits here and refuses to name an obvious evil like Hamas, the longer that happens, the worse off we'll be. The housing market is going crazy. And if you're trying to buy a home right now, you're lucky if you're not outbid by three or four people. There's all sorts of house goes on the market, three or four people bid on it. It goes over asking price. I mean, this is nuts. You need in a market like this the best real estate agent you can possibly have to make sure that you are getting the best deal, that you are finding the best home in the best area. The one like if we have a housing drop off in six months, which one's going to uh, have the, the best chance at holding its value. If you're selling a home, you just want to get the best price possible, right? You want to get the best price possible so you can move into a place that you, you want to live. Um, realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find the best person to help you get the best price on either side of this transaction. And I'll say, you know, there's much more than just listing it at the right price. You know, we had a real estate transaction once where we were like, should we do these five repairs that we think need to be done to the house? And the agent said, you know what? You don't need to do any of that stuff. People are going to want to do that on their own anyway. Don't, don't paint the whole house some color and then they're going to have to repaint it. Just let them come in and do it themselves. You need to have someone who knows the market and knows what you can do, where you should spend the money to improve and where not to. Realestateagentsitrust.com is a place to go to find that person. Realestateagentsitrust.com.
I'm happy to welcome back to the program Michael Knowles, host of The Michael Knowles Show from The Daily Wire and author of the upcoming book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, which is out next month and available right now for pre-order. You should definitely do so. Michael, thanks for coming on the program. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Let me start here. Is the pandemic over? The pandemic will never be over, <laughs> just like the revolution will never be over. <laughs> there will always be something more to do. There will be a new rule to follow, and there will be some new liturgical practice to enact. We've, we've had the masks for a year now. That is the secular kefia. And now it seems the masks are coming off, that the social distancing is coming off. I realize I've got now four hands as I lift my hands up into the frame. <laughs> uh, that, is, that is coming off. But th there will be some new ritual. You will be pressured to get the vaccine, even if you're in a bit perfectly healthy demographic group and you'll be you're already getting the pressure to receive the boosters to show a vaccine passport so no as a scientific and medical matter yeah we're obviously on the other end of it as a political matter it's it's probably not going away what what happens i keep thinking of this and, and i don't know if i've fully come to the realization of how, what this is going to be like from here on out but let's just say in 18 months there's a bubbling up of news stories from some region of china that there's some new pandemic, some new flu, a couple people coughing in a weird kind of way. Uh, the lesson they're going to take from this is people didn't listen to them fast enough. They didn't listen quickly enough. They should have locked down even sooner. I mean, what is life going to be like when all of this is quote unquote over? Well, of course, uh, their theses are always unfalsifiable here. If we do what they say and uh, things get better, as they naturally would have, then they were right. If we don't do what they say, then any death or any illness is blamed on the people who didn't pay attention. And if things go in completely the opposite direction, such as in Texas right now, Texas reopened a while ago. Joe Biden called it Neanderthal thinking. And Texas is doing great. They're leading the country in many ways on, on recovery from this virus. Then the media just ignore the story entirely. So there's no way for them to lose. We have faced other epidemics in our nation's history and in our civilization's history. And those epidemics have often been much, much worse as a medical matter than the coronavirus. But we shut down the country and much of the world over this one, not because of a, a medical or scientific difference, but because of, of something that's changed in our politics and our philosophy. Uh, we, we are a very different culture now. We fear death like a bunch of neurotics and it makes us very easy to control. You know, in, if you think of it as a religious matter, Christianity is often described as the last great revolution because it took away the ultimate power of princes and powers, which is the fear of death. You saw this in the late Roman Empire. Christians didn't, didn't fear that so much anymore. They'd be fed to lions and they were perfectly fine with it. But now that neurotic fear is creeping back. You, you see this with all sorts of headlines about how we need to extend life and we need to upload our brains to the cloud or, or whatever. And so I, I think really the, the explanation for what we're into right now is much more political philosophical and religious than it is scientific. You know, as a scientific matter, viruses come and go, but, but the uh, philosophical change is here to stay. We, we do tend to return to the roots of these debates that have gone on for centuries and centuries and centuries. So I'm going to take you from here over to the Middle East, uh, where right now we have this I, I can't even comprehend some of the arguments I'm hearing from the media when it comes to Israel and Hamas and what's going on there. Uh, Hamas fires all these rockets into Israel indiscriminately at civilians. And Israel is, I guess, just supposed to sit there and take it and do nothing. I mean, I, is, it, is there any, any hope of rehabilitating the media on any of this? 
Of course not. The, the only thing that's changed is that, generally speaking, both sides agree that Israel should exist. Mm-hmm. That was true for many decades, and that does not seem to be true anymore. You now have elected Democrats who are, who are very mainstream, who are chanting mottos that suggest that Israel should not exist at all. The reasoning here, of course, is that before Zionism, and certainly before 1948, this land belonged to the Palestinian Arabs. And of course, e- even the idea of a Palestinian nation is, is pretty absurd, but it belonged to the Arabs of this era. Okay. Uh, but if they're going to make that argument from history, they're going to run into a stumbling block, namely that before they were there, there were Jews there. And by the way, there were Christians there as well. And this is territory that has been disputed for a, a very long time. Ultimately, the question I think is, should the Jews get their own country? Should, should the <laughs> Jews have a nation state? and Or should we have one more Arab nation state that that uh, does not want to permit the existence of, of a Jewish nation? And it seems to me perfectly reasonable that uh, the Jews ought to be able to have their own country. <laughs> but but increasingly, it's not just the fringes of the left. It is it is elected Democrats themselves who are suggesting uh, otherwise. And, and the idea that we need to give a nation to Hamas, you know, to, and to a people that, that have elected Hamas, the, the idea that that would somehow be in America's best interests is uh, an argument I, I can't quite understand. Yeah, the standard is so high, Michael. It's like, you know, you could, maybe someone could understand an argument that would say, okay, well, the Jewish people don't deserve their own nation state. It's not one, it's not an argument I would agree with, but it seems like the media wants the Jews to agree with it. Like they, they you know what, <laughs> you're right, we suck, we don't deserve our own country. I mean, they just are expected to take this concept constant, you know, uh, fire from Hamas over and over and over again and do nothing. Well, the reason that the left is totally against Israel is because Israel is a stand-in for Western civilization here. Western civilization is often described as emanating from Athens and Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, you've got the religious basis of the West, and then you've got the sort of rational, philosophic, scientific basis. And so the left hates that. The left is trying to undo Western civilization. This is the premise of things like critical theory, the theory of which is to criticize. And so, yes, they're they're, uh, uh, against Israel, and they've they view Israel as a Western colonialism in the Middle East or something like that. So they get held to totally different standards. If, you know, Israel is this very well-functioning democracy in the Middle East, they take great care not to harm civilians. Meanwhile, you have Hamas, which is actively targeting civilians and using civilians as, as a human shield. But th- this is beyond reason. There, there's no argument that's ever going to persuade them. It comes from a very base level antipathy, not just to Israel, not just to the Jews, but to the West more broadly. And so I, I don't think you're going to convince people of anything. I think you've just got to come out there and, and defend your civilization. Yeah, they don't seem to care whether they're pissing people off, which is one of the things you have to like about the whole situation. Um, let me go to a different kind of, uh, of war, one going on in, in the GOP. Um, we had uh, Lynn Cheney, uh, who, uh, Liz Cheney, excuse me, I get the Cheneys confused. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, mm-hmm. She is ousted from leadership. And, you know, look, she had a decent voting record. There are some things to like about her, but, you know, she had become you know, a, a Trump critic, and obviously the party's in a place where they, you know, they're really, uh, that's not really something they, the party wants in leadership. And everyone kind of left it there, like, oh, good, we got Cheney out. Like, this is some big accomplishment. But where do we go from there? Because it seems to me, Going to Stefanik is a move towards the left uh, has a lower percentage voter, uh, you know, vote along with Trump rating, if that's if that's what your metric that you care about. But what I look at is she wanted net neutrality. She voted for the Equality Act. I mean, her voting record is highly suspect. And instead of going to someone who is really good, like Chip Roy, 
they go to Stefanik. I mean, this seems to me a move in the wrong direction. Well, it's, it's to be expected because the GOP is never going to show any respect for its conservative base. <laughs> it's, always, it's always run by squishes. And, and so, as, as you state, at least Stefanik has a far worse voting record than Liz Cheney. And I, by the way, I don't particularly like dis- Liz Cheney. I don't think Liz Cheney had any place in leadership. Her issue, I think, was even less that she hated Trump and was so against Trump uh, as that she couldn't shut up about it. She couldn't <laughs> stop talking about it. Lady, the election is over. Move on. But, but she kept uh, attacking Trump. She kept attacking Trump voters and she kept doing so in leftist outlets. She'd write for the New York Post or I'm sorry, not the New York Post, for the Washington Post. Mm -hmm. And she would appear on left-wing cable channels and news channels. And you just think, okay, well, if you don't like your base and you don't like your party, then you you can't lead it. So then they put in Stefanik, who also, by the way, was anti-Trump before she was pro-Trump. And she was pro-Equality Act, this radical transgender legislation, before she was against it. And she was against Trump's immigration policies and she was against Trump's climate policies. And so there are big, big problems here. I do wish they had gone with somebody like Chip Roy and even Chip. It's not as though he's the perfect candidate. No politician is perfect, but I felt he would have been a much more reliable conservative than Stefanik. So I guess what we can hope for now is a little bit of unity. One of the issues with the GOP is we have a lot of competing factions. Unlike the left, uh, unlike the Democrats, which basically now are just the progressives, they, they sort of ran out all but the last couple of blue dogs. On the GOP, you've got the populists, you've got the traditionalists, you've got the libertarians, you've got the neoconservatives, you've got, uh, even though the neocons seem to be fleeing the party en masse, but you, you have all of these competing interests and you need someone who can unite them. So I'm skeptical of Stefanik. She has a liberal voting record, but if she can come in and, and wrestle all of these cats and herd these cats together to actually use their political influence and, and effect some conservative policy, then she's got my support. And I hope she can do it. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, hopefully this is not an easy job. And I don't think uh, any, I, you can even see this from Nancy Pelosi, how she struggles with the different factions of the Democrats. It's not an easy gig, uh, even though Nancy Pelosi sucks. And that's been proven. Um, yeah, that's just documented <laughs> fact. Um, but Chip Roy is an interesting one, because I think there'd be some conservatives who would say, look, we have strayed too far from our conservative uh, credentials. We have gone, become too pro-Trump a party. Chip Roy is a guy yeah. who was really critical of Trump at times, didn't vote for impeachment, um, has held a very conservative, very solid voting record throughout this entire time. And the fact that he can only muster, what, a third of the vote, a quarter of the vote when it comes down to this is it's just a sign that I feel like as a conservative, this party doesn't have the same interests that I have. Sure. And I think it's a leadership issue, too. I mean, all of these leadership elections are basically rigged. They tried to cram at least Stefanik in there before anyone could even say boo. And, and thankfully, Chip Roy came out and, and offered the GOP an alternative. And he, he got a good number of votes. It was only a third, but still, that that's significant. It wasn't just a total blowout. Right. And, and uh, so, yes, I, I think you're right about this. I love Trump. I mean, I really like the guy. I think he was a very good president, but I've criticized certain policies. I tend to criticize him from the right, but I felt the jailbreak bill was a big mistake. I felt there there were a number of squandered opportunities there. And so while I think we should be supportive of Trump, I think we should celebrate the many things he accomplished. There's got to be something more there. And I don't think loyalty or in the case of Stefanik, recent loyalty to Donald Trump is sufficient for GOP leadership. 
leadership. And, and we've got to consider a, a little bit more deeply what we want. The, the great thing that Trump did was that he came in and broke up a bunch of stale platitudes. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of people in the GOP, even conservatives, believed that the talking points of the late Bush era, you know, 2006 or something, those were the eternal truths of the, <laughs> of the conservative movement. And, and that's not true. You know, what politics does is connect eternal principles with changing circumstances. So mm-hmm. uh, the circumstances today are very different than they were in, in, I don't know, the 2000s or in the 1990s or the 1980s even. And so, uh, yeah, I, I hope that we can learn the best that we can from Trump, shake things up a little bit, but but ultimately we've got to stand for something and not, not just for individuals. Yeah. I, I mean, to your point, it's like you know, t- talking about lowering taxes all the time was really much more effective when they were 90% uh, than they were 40. <laughs> right. I still want them at 0%, but you know, there's a, there's a level there. Um, let me go over to uh, the Supreme Court. They, they uh, t- not today. They're going to take up a case on abortion, uh, first one in a while, kind of the first test of this of this new court. I feel as uh, as I hear this news, the same way I feel before a new Star Wars movie comes out, which is like excited <laughs> but just expecting disaster. Uh, what do you think about this? To quote George W. Bush, "Fool me once, shame <laughs> on you. Fool me twice." The point is, you ain't going to fool me again. And and uh, there's a lot of wisdom in that misquote because the conservative court always seems to be just one justice away, mm-hmm. just one more justice, and, and we'll be able to win on, notably on things like life. And so one of the fights that you've seen break out in the conservative movement that I think is very important right now is a questioning of our devotion to textualism and originalism and the conservative legal movement of the last 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. Because while I I like these things in theory, in practice, they haven't really given us any wins. I guess they gave us a win on Citizens United, so corporations can donate more money to campaigns, fine. They've given us some wins on guns, a little bit, you know, the Heller decision, okay. Mm -hmm. But on really important things, on the nature of marriage, and the nature of what societies can do uh, with regard to marriage or, or even letting men into the women's bathroom, for goodness sakes, like in the Bostock case, or especially important on this issue of life. You know, the, the conservative court has totally failed and it doesn't matter how many more people we add to the court. We're always going to be one away. So maybe, maybe I, I'm with you. I share your kind of basic, uh, let's just call it what it is, pessimism here. I don't think it's going to really work out very well. But but maybe this is an opportunity to rethink the conservative legal movement and and break off some of those sh- slogans that really haven't served us very well. Uh, on the Supreme Court front, the, McKay Coppins has a profile of, of uh, Brett Kavanaugh that's that came out uh, this week. And man, just reading it, it's to me, just terrifying. I mean, it it talks about how he's really aligned himself with Justice Roberts, um, how he really does care what the New York Times thinks about him. It describes him as a guy who, while very angry at what happened to him when he was, uh, you know, uh, going through this process, also sees this as almost a motivating factor to uh, endear himself to the left so he can get back into nice public life. Uh, I mean, what are, you, what are your views on Kavanaugh? How, do you, how is this working out so far? I was really, really hoping that the whole process would have radicalized <laughs> yes. Justice Kavanaugh and all of his squishiness would have been shaken off. I mean, I, I, I agree with his main public statement during that period, which is, I like beer, I still like beer. I mean, <laughs> that I think is unimpeachable. <laughs> but but the, the fear from the beginning with Kavanaugh was that Justice Kennedy liked him. Justice Kennedy, who in his performed moderation is probably the most radical judge that we've had in decades. I mean, let's not forget, it was Kennedy who upheld abortion in the 
in the Planned Parenthood v. Casey case mm-hmm. by, by saying that Americans have a constitutional right to describe their own conception of existence, or rather to define their own conception of existence. Scalia made fun of this as the sweet mystery of life passage, <laughs> and Kennedy took his amateurish romantic poetry to an even further level in the Obergefell decision that, that created a new definition of marriage to include monogamous same-sex, same-sex unions. So uh, the, the fact that that guy was defending Kavanaugh really gave me very low hopes for and expectations for him in the very beginning. Beginning. And, and unfortunately, the radicalizing effect of the Democrats who accused him of being a gang rapist while he was at Georgetown Prep uh, just, just doesn't seem to have worked. We just don't learn the lesson. We, we're just too nice. We just want to be liked so <laughs> badly here on the right that, that uh, we, I don't know, we've got Stockholm Syndrome or something. Brett, they're never going to like you. Give it up and stand for something, for goodness sakes. This is why I never try to be liked. It's just a nice, easy way uh, to get away <laughs> with life. Michael Knowles. Uh, host of the Michael Knowles Show and author of the upcoming book. We're going to have you back on for this, Michael. A speechless, controlling words, controlling minds. Make sure to pre-order this today. Get it fast. Get it up the Amazon charts. Michael, thanks so much for coming on the program. Stu, great to be with you. And I can sign some of those copies with that wonderful pen you gave me, which says, of course, Nancy Pelosi sucks. <laughs> it certainly does. Michael, thanks, man. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for doing America with me. Uh, it's going to be a great week, I can tell. I can just tell. Everything seems wonderful. If you haven't yet checked out, well, check out my in- Instagram page, at America. Give me a follow. Like my wonderful pictures and take the link in the bio to all the platforms where we stream this stupid show completely free or help us fight conservative censorship with your own subscription to Blaze TV. Head to blazetv.com slash stew and enter the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll save 10 bucks. Uh, Apple stores are going to be one of the few hanging on to the mask mandate, at least for the time being. Uh, Target and CVS have lifted it, even Trader Joe's. I mean, when Trader Joe's is saying like, ah, screw the mask, you know this, they've gone pretty far down this road. Uh, this is all happening while Texas, what, six or eight weeks from when we, they were uh, Neanderthal thinkers? are now uh, showing zero COVID-19 deaths for the first time since tracking uh, pandemic data. Now, if you watch this show enough, you know the nerdy behind-the-scene details of basically people are on the, when they're on the weekend, a lot of times they don't work or report deaths. So the death count goes down for Saturday and Sunday, shoots back up, uh, usually on Tuesday, um, as the reporting kind of catches up. So this is probably at least partially uh, due to the fact of kind of a data quirk. But still, the fact is, uh, deaths are way, way down in Texas, even though everyone on the left said it was going to be a catastrophe. And how many times have we told the same story? One of the interesting things, you know, I kind of, I think we are all in the same boat where we're sitting here thinking, oh, I can't wait to get these masks off. And well, I can't wait to get all these restrictions over with. And even if you might think there's some validity to some of the restrictions, you just like, I can't wait to get back to real life. That's not the way the left feels. Like they're sitting around saying like, wait, you want us to take our mask off? That sounds terrible. They really are having problems with this. And it's really fascinating to watch. I kind of thought we were all in the same boat of wanting to get back uh, to that same place with the exception, you know, maybe we didn't agree on when the right time was or how to do it. Instead, it seems almost like people on the left want to keep the masks on, want these restrictions on because it gives them some sort of way to signal their superiority over you and I. There's all sorts of craziness all around the country because 
these CDC recommendations came out, there wasn't apparently a lot of communication between the government and the CDC on this matter before it actually popped out into our view. And shockingly, people didn't know what to do. They didn't, they feel weird going into stores without masks on. They can't, they don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to handle interpersonal reactions anymore and relations anymore. No one knows how to talk to each other. No one's seen another human face in the last few years, seems like at least. So uh, that is going on all around the country. And of course, this is the day that New York announces they're going to lighten up their mask mandates and rules. Of course, this is the day. Why? Well, Andrew Cuomo was forced to admit something bad about himself. So this is what all the left wing governors are doing. Wait, I have a scandal going on. You guys can now do anything you want. Take off the mask, run in the streets, sneeze all over each other. It's totally fine. Everything's back to normal today because the day's the day. Scandal hit me. This is what the left is doing all over the country. Cuomo had to admit finally how much money he made off his pathetic book. His book made off of the, the backs of dead people all across his state in nursing homes. In 2020, he made $3.59 million. He is going to make a total of $5.12 million over two or three years, excuse me, on this crap heap of a book. You wonder why, not how he manipulated the numbers, but why he wouldn't manipulate them. Why would he lie about all these people dying in nursing homes based on his decision? Why would he do that? $5.12 million. That's why he did it. Remember 60 Minutes, the show? It used to make news all the time, no matter what they talked about. They don't do it as much anymore, but last night they talked to experts from inside the military who pointed out, yeah, we see UFOs, I believe their quote was, every day, every single day. Now they don't know what they are. They, there's a kind of a list of three things. They said it could be uh, some unknown US military technology, could be foreign spy technology, or it could be like Mars attacks for real. And you have to go back and watch that movie as a documentary. It's one of the three. Uh, but Marco Rubio is one of the people out there saying, yeah, guys, we gotta take this seriously because we don't know what this is. And we have real evidence that this is going on. You'd think this would be the biggest story in the world. It's not. It's like the 90th biggest story in the world right now, but it's something we're gonna continue to watch very carefully. Back in a second. There have been a lot of uh, tragedies that have happened over the past year. Perhaps the biggest one is uh, Andrew Cuomo making $5 million off of his terrible book. And to add to that tragedy, and I, I can't give you all the details, but I have made slightly less off of these Andrew Cuomo's awful mugs. Think about that. Think about that. He made more money than we did off of that. That's, that's a real tragedy of this pandemic. Uh, you can get yours at andrewcuomoisawful.com. They also have t-shirts and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, check it out. So uh, there is a, there's, a, there's a big statue of Marilyn Monroe that was made, and it was of her, you know, getting the, the wind sort of blown up her skirt, sort of the famous image of Marilyn Monroe. This is in uh, Palm Springs, and they put it out in front of a museum, and now they're going to bring it back. It was there from 2012 to 2014. They want to bring it back. It's 26 feet tall. Do we have a picture of this thing? I mean, it's an impressive statue, uh, but it is in, she's in the, you know, she's, her skirt's blowing up. Um, apparently, people are very offended by this. Now, it's a statue, not a person. I don't know if people understand this. It's actually a statue. 
But they're complaining. They're saying she's literally going to be mooning the museum. Uh, It's blatantly sexist. It forces people almost to upskirt. And then the article wants you to know, upskirting is the practice of taking a photo up a person's skirt. Uh, If Marilyn were a person and not a statue, upskirting her could be prosecuted as a misdemeanor in California. Uh, uh, It's kind of weird that that would only be a misdemeanor, but I'll just say this. It's a lot classier than the stuff we have in Dallas, like the JFK splash zone. Terrible.